I want to start off by explaining what, what Peter is, is sharing with us in this wonderful, wonderful place in Scripture. In Luke chapter 12, our Lord is asking those that are listening to him through a parable. He's telling them a parable. And, and, he, and he makes this statement. I, I think most of you uh, will remember it the moment it starts. Uh, actually, I want you to look at, at verse 48 first. That's kind of in the middle of it, near the middle end of it. He says, our Lord does, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they've entrusted much of them, they will ask all the more. This parable in Luke chapter 12 begins by our Lord warning everyone who will listen to be ready. And this is the call, as you're going to see in a moment, out of 1 Peter. Let me read with you, if you're in Luke still, Luke chapter 12. Read with me from verse 35 through verse 40. Our Lord says, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master and when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he, talking about the master, will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch, that's from 9 o'clock in the evening till midnight, or even the third watch, that's from midnight to 3 a.m., and finds them so. In other words, finds them alert and ready. Blessed are those slaves. And then he shifts gears and says in verse 39, But be sure of this, if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, he says in verse 40, You too, be ready. You too, he says, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Here's what I get from that. I get, don't put off for tomorrow what you can or should do today. Now, that's my father talking to me. I remember Dad telling me that all the time. Don't put off for tomorrow, son, what you can do today. I get out of that. Always be ready. Always be willing to serve your Lord. Now, turn with me back to 1 Peter. And I want you to read with me verses 13 to 19. Before we read, I want to say something about Peter. I have always had as my hero, and he still is, Paul. I, uh, I adore Paul. But I had no idea, having studied and read Peter before, the impact that Peter would have on my life. I think I'm getting older, and I think that I'm, that, that I'm getting more touched by the Word of God. I don't know that's a fact. I can just tell you what I feel. But studying Peter now, I'm falling in love with this guy. 
I've fallen in love with the way he, he explains. He has talked to us about struggles. He has talked to us, to us about suffering. He wrote to the people who were scattered from Rome. And he says, you're like aliens. But he's telling them, be encouraged. And he is explaining the importance of salvation. And it is, it is overwhelming how, how beautifully Peter has put this down. Now, I know this. Peter was inspired by God the Holy Spirit. And so what I understand as I read through Scripture, it's not really Peter talking to me. It's not really Paul talking to me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ through the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit trying to mold me, conform me into the man that he hopes I become. And thanks, Alan. God bless you. You throw me all off kilter. You're over there. Now I'm leaning over. <laughs> Thank you for amening me. That's cool. Actually, amen in the Word of God. That was very long stated. And so, I want you to understand that, that what God is trying to do, through whomever we study, is to get into your heart, get into your, your innermost being, so that what is being taught, you can say, Whoa, will that be great for so-and-so? And I want you to, any time you think that way, to stop and start thinking, what does that mean to me? We'll deal with so-and-so later. Let's deal with us now. What does what we are studying mean to us? You as an individual. And so, I would like to pray with you. I'm going to mention, Brent and Melissa again, I'm going to mention... Uh, the uh, the uh, Renaults again. Um, this the news of of of, of uh, little baby Reese Louise um, going home to be with the Lord was uh, was it really impacted me, it really did. It was um, it, I love the family. I love the Renaults. I'm I'm off the chart loving Doug and Kathy. They're just there is, there is, uh, they are as, as genuine, and real a believers as I've ever known, and I, I, I can remember if it wasn't last week, it was the week before, the week before she came up to me and she said, nobody knows now outside the family but you, knows what, Ben and Jessica are pregnant. I'm going to have a grandchild, and she was just floating. She was so beside herself, so excited. And I thought, if ever I wanted to be born to a grandmom, it would have been Kathy Renault. I would have been spoiled rotten. And I, uh, I got touched, touched deeply over the death of little Reese. She's fine. She's with our Lord. It's those of us that are left behind that have to deal with it. It's interesting that we're talking about sorrow and going through difficulties. Uh, that we could uh, talk about that even uh, for them in a sense. And so, Lord, we, uh, we come before you humbly, but, Father, with great, great, great respect and honor of who you are, who else could we come to at a time like this to be overjoyed just to 
see how what an impact you've made on life after life after life after life after life through Brent and Melissa. And how you have moved in their hearts to just be a, a, a lightning rod for you, Father, so that they would they would just serve and and just help others with their marriages, with their lives in so many facets. And it is our honor as a church to ordain Brent to do weddings. I know it's going to be a blessing. And only you know, Father, what lies before and ahead of all of that. On the other hand, Father, we can come to you in the same moment and pour out our hearts for the Renault family, for Ben and Jessica who lost their little girl. Lost is the wrong word. They know exactly where she is. She's in your loving arms. And also for Doug and Kathy. So looking forward to to having that little baby around them. And so I pray that you'll watch over them. As I pray for the Slazaks, I pray for the Renaults. Just different different avenues, Father. But the same passion of prayers. And coming to you is is our best effort, Father. It's what we can do. Now, Father, I pray for the, the message that you've laid on my heart through Peter. I pray that I do not stray anyway, anywhere from what you would want to be said. For that, Father, would you please open up our hearts so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law. And would you move me aside so that I don't interfere with what is a beautiful place in Scripture. I pray, Father, that you bless us in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know what I didn't do? I didn't read the passages, have I? did I? I got ahead of myself. I'm so sorry. Read with me, please. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to read from verses 13 to 19, but I want you to know, just full disclosure, we're not going to be able to cover it all today. We're going to do more of it next week. But what we want to look at is just the magnificence of these verses. Think it through. Think what we've already looked at. He starts by saying, I'm going to, just before I read, he starts by saying, therefore. When he says, therefore, he's encompassed everything that he has said from verse 1 to 12. Therefore, since these things are so, therefore. Now, let's read verse 13 through 19. Therefore, Gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself. Also, in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay upon earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, But you were redeemed, I added that word, with precious blood, 
as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Amen. Well, I should pray again. Father, bless this word. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a little bit quick. but Look, this is one of the great places in Scripture. I want you to know that. Like every good teacher will try to do, Everyone will tell you what it is you received. And once you understand what it is that you've received, he's talking about salvation in the midst of difficulties that you've come to know and trust in Christ. Once they make sure you know what you received, then they ask to put yourself into action. In other words, get busy about what you're doing. In in Romans, Paul explained that for the first 11 chapters talked about salvation through faith and faith in Christ alone. And then he said, let me turn to it real quickly. You don't need to. I want to just make sure I don't misquote him. He says, now, after he said all of this, Paul said in Romans, I urge you therefore. In other words, since all of this has taken place, I want by the mercies of God for you to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice which is acceptable to the Lord. And so Peter is doing the same thing. Since you have all of this, therefore, gird your minds for action. This passage with our Lord's, within our Lord's Word is so pure and it is so simply put, warning us, be ready, be faithful, faithful for the wonderful salvation that you have received from the Lord God Almighty. Therefore, he says in verse 13, because of what has taken place in the first 12 verses, Gird your minds for action. In other words, be ready. In other words, be obedient. Verse 13 is in the aorist middle participle tense. Anybody know what that means? I I copied it from Dr. J. Vernon McGee. He knows. I know now, but only because he said it. I didn't know that. He says it means a personal, decisive act that is demanded of us. It is, it is, you have no other option. You are to gird your mind for action. The, the New King James, out of what Dr. McGee only studies, says, says this, this way, gird up the loins of your mind. It's a Hebrew expression. In ancient Near East, both men and women wore robes. And, and, and when they wanted to work hard, or if they had to make a, a, a quick movement, they would normally reach down, gather their robes up, and pull them through their legs. And then they would tuck the robe into their belt. It would make them somewhat like pants so that they were ready to move quickly, ready to get into action, um, more strenuous action more quickly. Peter's metaphor applies in this process of girding up one's robe. He applies it to our minds. He is urging you and me to become mentally prepared for our obedient walk with Jesus Christ. In other words, we're to pull in all the loose ends of our lives, meaning to discipline our thoughts and our minds. That's a part of your life. That's a part of of, of having different things in your life that remind you of the Lord. Do you have those things in your life? I'd strongly encourage you to do that. Have in your car, in your place of work, in your home, on your person. For me, I chose a long time ago. It wasn't my idea. There's hardly a fresh idea that I've ever had. 
I heard it from a preacher one time saying he had a clock that beeped. And when it beeped, it reminded him of the Lord. I thought, that's clever. I went out and bought this. Oh, not this one, but I bought a watch like this. I've had about three or four of them. I bought this at Target right across the street. It, it's missing one of the buttons. It was on sale for $4.95. True. When I went to buy for it, I said, can you give me some more money off on this? It's broken. I mean, it was marked down to four ninety-five, and I'm trying to bargain with this lady. Um, I'm insane about doing things like that. She laughed at me. I laughed at me. She said, I think that's cheap enough. I said, I think you're right. And I bought it and went my way. But it beeps. It beeps every hour. It doesn't beep to tell me the time. That's not why I have it beep. It beeps to remind me how am I walking with the Lord. And sometimes it can beep at the most inopportune moment. I could be maybe upset or, or doing something that I shouldn't be doing, and it would go beep. Now, I have more than that. I have a, I've always wanted to purchase a grandfather's clock. Our parents, my parents never had one. Kay's never did. But I've always wanted, I always thought a grandfather clock was attractive. I always thought it would be nice to have one in the home. And we have one. We bought one on our 10th wedding anniversary. Bought it back in Boston. That's a whole other story. Tell you about it someday, if I haven't already. But anyways, it rings on the half hour. It rings. I don't, I don't like a clock that goes dun, 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 dun. That's too much. I like, get to the point. And it goes, you know, if it's 1 o'clock, it goes dun. 2 o'clock, dun, dun. And then on the half hour, it rings just once. Every time my clock rings and I hear it, it reminds me of how am I walking with the Lord? How am I doing? <laughs> Hutch, when he saw my clock, he loved it. He wanted my clock. I said, you can't have my clock. He said, you better watch it closely. He said, you better watch it closely. He says, back, he says, where I was raised, he said, you know, we'd have to, clock that have, we'd have, to have a clock that rings every five minutes. Why every five minutes? He says, so when someone steals it, they can only get five minutes away before I know they... <laughs> you could hear God say that, can't you? He says, they'd only get five minutes away. He says, I got a half hour start on you. In this. <laughs> I miss Hutch so much. We used to talk about that stuff like that all the time. He was just a great friend. So we have to have things that discipline our thoughts and our minds. Listen to what Paul says. I just read to you. He says this, don't be conformed to this world. This is in Romans 12, 2. But be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. So that you might prove what the will of God is. That which is good. That which is acceptable. That which is perfect. And so we're to discipline our thoughts. We're also to live according to biblical principles. Matthew 6, 33. One of the great verses in all of Scripture. Seek what? First... The kingdom of God and His, what? Righteousness. And then all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first His righteousness. We're to live according to biblical principles. And we also are to disentangle ourselves from the world's sinful ways. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and every sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance 
the race that is set before us. How? Next verse, Hebrews 12, 2. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Have things in your life that remind you of the Lord. Don't live haphazardly as a believer in Jesus Christ. Have a purpose in your mind. Gird your minds. Gird your bodies for action. Lastly, you are to conduct yourself in, in a godly way. always anticipating the Lord's coming back, just like the parable taught. Jesus said if, 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 if they knew what time the thief was coming, he wouldn't have been able to break in. But he's going to come at an hour in which you do not know. And so Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 2, 3, and 4, basically he says this, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Great counsel. Because of what Peter has been teaching us in 1 Peter chapter 1, he has told us beforehand what it means to suffer and also to have salvation. He is saying, therefore, here in verse 13, gird or prepare your minds for action. Be ready. Be obedient for strenuous action and quick decisions concerning the Lord. How? Well, he says in verse 13, second point, keep sober in spirit. That literally means do not become intoxicated. Doesn't mean, it means do not lose control of your thoughts or your actions. Metaphorically, Peter is telling us not to lose spiritual control by taking in the world's system. Therefore, he says, be of sober spirit. Be serious about your faith. Study the Word of God with a purpose in mind. Be serious about your walk with Christ. If there's anything I want for you or would love to give to you, it would be that. That you and I would be serious about our faith. That we'd want to leave, to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our strength. I'm trying to move into that type of man and I want you to try to move in that way too. Be serious about your faith. Listen to what Matthew says in Matthew 16, 26, it says, What will it profit you? What will it profit you if you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? What will a person give in exchange for their soul? Have you thought it out? What will make you walk away from the Lord? What, what is it that, that is in your life that can be so tempting that it would make you move away a little bit? What would come in your life that would make you move away a little bit from your faith? You ought to have a serious talk with yourself. You ought to ask yourself, what would it take for me to move away from my compassion, my desire, my passion for the Lord? I've had that talk. What would I have to lose or what would I have to gain? I've come to the conclusion that there is nothing, in fact, nothing in my life that is more important than my walk with Christ. My wife is the most, second most important thing in my life. And then this church, my kids, my family, of course, then this church. Nothing would move me away. Nothing. 
And I promise you, Satan is trying to, to tempt me into that. It's not easy to really make a stand for Christ, no matter what. No matter what. It's not easy. Paul writes in Colossians 2.8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of this world rather than according to Christ. How serious are you with your faith? Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.20, guard, guard, Timothy, what has been entrusted to you. Avoid worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments that, that some falsely call knowledge. It's not knowledge. Some have professed and thus some have gone astray from the faith. What will move you? What will move you? Keep sober in spirit. Finally, Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine. That's dissipation. Rather, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Yeah, we're to keep sober in our spirit. We are to be obedient to the Lord and His Word. Therefore, the end of verse 13, oh, look at this. He says, fix your hope, watch, completely. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The New King James puts it this way, hope to the end. Hope to the end. Hope, that word in the Greek is E-L-P-I-S-A-T-E. It's in the aorist active imperative. It's where Peter exhorts the believer in a very military fashion. In other words, he is saying make a decisive action to hope that, that you will live what God has asked you to live. It is a required act of your will, not merely an emotional feeling. That's why I said get alone with yourself and see what is it that might move you aside. Take a good, serious look at your life. What would make you move from your love of Christ, keeping sober in spirit, fixing your hope completely on the grace of God? You and I are commanded to live expectantly. We are commanded to anticipate this living hope that Peter promises us through God the Holy Spirit. I want to I reiterate what, what Peter's already said in verses 3, 4, and 5. I know, I've beaten them to death, but please read it with me again. It's, it's a wonderful thing to refresh your mind about what Peter's promised us. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His great mercy, has caused you and me to be born again to a living hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And what is promised us? What is this living hope that we have? Verse 4. I love these verses. Verse 4 and 5. To obtain an inheritance, an inheritance which is imperishable, an inheritance which is undefiled, an inheritance which will not fade away, an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for you, it says in verse 4. And then he says, you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What are you hoping for today? Tell me, what are you, what are you hoping for? You're hoping for the economy to go up so that you can make more money? 
Good luck. Good luck. You're hoping for peace on earth? Good luck. You're hoping for your stocks and bonds to rise up so you can... Good luck. You're hoping that the government will rise up and protect our country? Protect us from enemies from within as well as from without? Good luck. These are just vague hopes. These are our pipe dreams. Unless we place our hope on Jesus Christ, we have no hope. We have a living hope in our Savior. Listen to what James says. He tells us that Christ is our only hope. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow. This is in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, he says, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet, he says, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor, he says, that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, he says in verse 15, you ought to say if the Lord wills, we will live. If the Lord wills, we will also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all boasting is evil, he says. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. What are we to do? I'll tell you, we're to fix our hope on Jesus Christ and he alone, completely and to the end. Genuine hope is a spiritual reality of one of the three supreme, supreme virtues of life. There is in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, there is, there is faith, there is hope, and there is love. Paul writes that, that, that the greatest of these is, of course, love, but Basically, define hope is the Christian attitude towards the future. Paul writes to Titus in, in chapter 3, verse 7, he says, So that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That hope that you and I have towards the future. In essence, hope is equivalent to faith. Faith is the assurance, it says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it's the assurance of things that you and I have hoped for. It is the conviction of things that we have not yet seen. That's hope. That's faith. The major difference between faith and hope, they're very similar, is this. Faith involves trusting God for the present. Right now, trust God. We walk by faith and not by sight, the Bible tells us. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Whereas hope, that's faith. Hope trusts in God for the future faith. Trusting God for what is to come. Hebrews 3, 6 says, Trust Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast to our confidence and boast in our hope firm until the end. Hope trusts in our future. Faith believes what God has already said and done, hope anticipates what God's going to do. And completely, in verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 1, completely means unreservedly. It means fully protected to the end. We're not to hope half-heartedly. We don't have to. We don't have to be indecisive. We can hope with finality, without any 
any doubt concerning the promises of God. I want to read you a couple of verses, if I may. Hebrews, excuse me, Romans chapter 15, 13. Now, Paul writes, May the God of hope. That should just bless you right there. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 6, 19, 20. This hope that you and I have is an anchor for our soul. It is a hope that is both sure and steadfast. Talking about Jesus. Through faith and through hope, God provided the most perfect gift that He could ever give to mankind, and that was His Son. When he says in John chapter 3, verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he said, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes or hopes in Him will have eternal life. For you know this verse, verse 16, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes or hopes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That results, that belief in Christ results in the forgiveness of our sin, a hope that all of our sins, past, present, and future are cared for. Remember, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Remember when John the Baptist was baptizing all those people in the, in the wilderness there, and all of a sudden John the Baptist looks up. This is in John chapter 1, verse 29. He looks up and he says these words, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as Jesus was walking towards him. I mean, couldn't you? Just the electricity of that. John the Baptist saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of this world. He's going to come right here by us. He took us, our Lord did, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, He rescued you and me from the domain of darkness and transferred, transferred you and me into the kingdom of His beloved Son. People, we serve and love and hope and trust in a faithful and truthful God. As Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, Faithful is He who called you. He also will bring it to pass. And so I say to you today, gird up your minds for action. Be ready. In season, out of season. Keep sober in spirit. And fix your hope completely on the grace of God. That's just verse 13. It's a great verse. You know, every week I... I mentioned to you all about some coming here and, and visiting us, and, and some of you have been here a little bit, and I don't know if you know the Lord. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning that is out of character for me. It is. It's just out of character. But I'm going to ask if there's anyone here that has never asked, that they don't know that they've ever publicly professed to to anyone that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. Have you ever made that public proclamation? 
If you'd like to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you right now to stand. I know that's difficult. I know it. If you would love Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you stand? Now, pardon me, Russ. No, I know that you have. No, if it's your first time, I know that's not you, Russ. You, I know how much you love the Lord. I just wanted to ask, I know it's tough. I accepted Christ March 12, 1973. I went to a, a meeting a couple of days later that was an evangelist was in town by the name of Peter Gilquist. Never forget it. forgot his name a few times, but I, I won't forget that meeting. And I went up to the guy that told me about Jesus Christ and told him, uh, I just asked Christ into my heart yesterday or the day before, I forget. And um, But don't tell anybody, please. It's... It's, it's, I don't, I, let me think this through and all of that. So I'm, I'm in this, this thing and Peter Gilchrist comes after all the music and he says, we got a new brother in our midst. And I'm thinking, that's great, who? I don't even know what new brother means. I'm so fresh and new and everything. And he says, John Warhaus, would you come forward? Well, they didn't need to have aisles. I could have walked underneath all the chairs. I mean, I just, it was so embarrassing. And yet, it transformed, it just, it changed my life. It did. It made me realize that I needed to stand up for what I believed in. And uh, even though I hated every second of it, Afterwards, and to this day, I'm very thankful that he did that terrible thing, I thought, at that day. But it really blessed me in the end result. So the only reason I asked you if you wanted to stand, um, I'm not good at altar calls. I always believe that God works in your life very privately. And you will stand up for him when the time is correct. I believe that. I just thought I'd try. And this is kind of why I don't like to try, because it's just, I, I don't know. There's people going to be praying here for you in a moment. I'm going to close. I, I got five minutes early. This is great. I feel good about that. Um, if you need anybody to pray for anything, anything in your life that's going on that you would like to ask for prayer, we would like to have this as the very core of our church, that this prayer ministry. And so they'll be, come, they'll be standing up there. I'm going to close in prayer. And, uh, or on this side, where Alvin is. is it, did we change the sides? Both sides. So there'll be some people here and some people there. And they'll pray for you. Before I pray, let me tell you how much I love you. Let me tell you how much you mean to me. You were all over me this whole week. I'm bacheloring it right now. Me and Neil. That's very dangerous. Um, and gave me a lot of time just to think. Do you find that that's true, that you have more time to think? Well, I've just been thinking, and I, I can't get my mind away from you guys, how much I love this church, how much I love you. When you guys are away, it's not the same, you know, Jane. It isn't. love you so much. 
Father in heaven above. What a joy to, to, to be in the midst of friends and, and loved ones and, and to be able to pray for the Renaults, asking Father, comfort them. I, I, I can't even imagine what they're going through, but comfort them, please, Father. And on the other hand, we rejoice over Brent and, and Melissa. We rejoice that, that, that we could recognize what you're doing in a life of a couple that is amazing, absolutely, utterly amazing. Any church would be blessed and honored to, to have them apart. And yet you've, you've allowed them to be here. We thank you for them. Thank you for them dearly, Father. And for everyone else, on our journey as we walk with you, Father, help us to gird up our minds for action. Help us, help us, Father, to, to be sober in spirit. And help us, Father, to, to hope completely on you. Lord, bless us now as we go from here. In Jesus' precious name, amen.